Our Bible reading this morning is Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O son of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour, to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Thank you, Wendy. Let's uh, pray once again, ask that God may help us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that we might have a right perspective on life, that we might have a heart of wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've uh, come into the new financial year and what this means for many businesses is that they've taken their stock take for the year. It's their way of working out whether they were in profit or loss this past financial year. And, and this is something we might be doing as well. Of course, a new financial year also means that it's time to do our tax return to work out how we've gone financially and perhaps it's time to work out the budget for the next year. But every once in a while, I find it helpful to take a stock take on life, to, to slow down and to take a stock take on my life to get a bigger perspective on life. What have I done so far in my life? What have I achieved? How much have I served the Lord? How have I served the Lord? And then to consider the future. What else do I want to do in my life? To, in a sense, take a stock take on life. What have I done so far? What more is there to do? 
And this has been particularly helpful this past week for me. See, this past week was quite an eventful week in my life. I wanted to take stock of this past week. This past week, the things I experienced, I saw a, a little accident, not a big one, but a little accident and, and it wasn't that serious, and, but the driver was annoyed by that. I spoke to a lady this past week who was just frustrated with life, frustrated, suffering and just annoyed and she, she said she just wants to die by the age of 60. She's not yet 60 and so she, she just wants it all to end. But I said to her, you, you can't say that. I mean, God might grant you another 40 years and, and you have to live that out in joy. But that was the type of week I had. Another thing this week, I conducted a funeral and so was once again confronted by the brevity, the, the frailty of life once again. And then yesterday I attended a, a, a wedding and so had the downs of the funeral and then the ups of the wedding yesterday. It was an eventful week. And so it was chance this past week to take stock of life, to take a stock take. What have I done and what do I want to do? What else do I want to do? You see, this is an important question for all of us, isn't it? To reflect on once in a while. It's because we all want to end our life, whenever that is, with a sense of achievement, that I've done my best. We want to end our life with a sense of fulfilment, that I've done all I can. We want to end our life with that sense of finishing the race, that I've done it well. I mean, that's how we all want to end, isn't it? And so, once in a while, I find it helpful to just stop and to take a stock take on life. You see, many people, if you know about this, many people end their time on earth, not in positive light, but with a big sense of regret that I should have done things differently. Many people, in fact, end their life with a big sense of despair that I should have done more. There's a palliative care nurse by the name of Bronnie Ware. She's written a book. She spent a lot of time with people who are preparing to die. And one of the things she noticed that affected her patients most was this sense of regret, a regret at the end of life that I should have done more, I should have been happier, I should have worked less, I should have loved my family more, this big sense of regret at the end of life. And we don't want that, do we? We don't want that because we can understand why, how demoralising that is to end a life that way. I mean, when you face the end, it makes death even harder to bear when you know that you're just too old to do anything about it and too late to do anything about it. And so if that is the end for so many, it's actually quite depressing and quite sad. But I don't want that for my life and I don't want that for your life. We want to end our life with that sense of fulfilment that we have run our race. And so I think it's worth once in a while, perhaps today, to take a stock take on life. This is helpful. What we'll be looking at today will help us do that. This psalm is so helpful because, you see, what this psalm does is it puts life in perspective for us. It helps us see the span of our life, that we're mere mortals, that our life will end. It will help us see that. But what this psalm also does, it reminds us of the immortal one, the eternal God we must answer to, the eternal God we must turn to, but the eternal God who grants us hope. And so let's have a look at this psalm. So if you do have your Bibles open, we'll work our way through the verses. Now the first thing in taking a stock take of life, in getting a proper perspective on life, 
is really to first consider God. We have to look up and think about God to consider him. God is eternal and he stands in stark contrast to us. You see, God is God, we know that. We're not, we should know that. God is eternal and we are mortal. I mean, that is so simple and obvious, isn't it? God is immortal, we are mortal. But yet it's so easy to forget. Just so easy to forget in the ups and downs of life. See, I often forget it, especially us young people, we often forget it, that somehow being young, we're strong, we're invincible, we we can do anything we want. The world is my oyster, we hear people say. I've got lots to do, I've got lots to achieve. That's our way of life. But every year I notice I get older. You can't help it, can you? I get older every year, I notice. My hairdresser reminds me still, I'm losing more hair. She's seeing more of my scalp. Yesterday Yvonne saw a photo of me on Facebook and she said, look at you, you might think you look good but you're losing hair, you're getting bold. Yvonne showed me that, pointed that out just to make me feel good. But yet every year as I get older, as I lose more hair, I somehow still try to uh, manage to convince myself that I'm getting stronger, I'm getting fitter. But really I'm just fooling myself, aren't I? Now, we like to think we're invincible, we're young people, but we're not. Just two weeks ago at our sleepover here at Youth Group, we had some fun games, running around, throwing balls at each other, uh, tripping over each other. Uh, we slept on the floor and I thought this is what young people do every year so I'm going to do it too, this year like every other year. But then the next morning I felt my age. My thigh was sore, my hip was sore, my back was sore. It never happened to me before sleeping on the floor. But if I was reminding me, you're not invincible, you're getting old. It's getting old. But it's a good reminder, isn't it? We are mere mortals. We can't help it. We will age. We are mere mortals. But what we see in this psalm is that there is one who is immortal. There is one who stands in stark contrast to us. There is one who is eternal. And that's what this psalm tells us. Be reminded by this, he's telling us. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. He says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, before everything was put in their place, before the stars were flung in the sky, before the mountains were raised up to the high peaks, before the rivers flowed down the ravines, God was God already wore us. I mean, the contrast between God and man cannot be starker. And none of us comes anywhere close to God. From everlasting to everlasting. You are God. We need to remember that. That puts our life in perspective when we consider God. He is eternal. We are not. I do want to take a moment just to reflect on that. We need to let that sink in a bit. I mean, if there is a God and he is immortal, and he is eternal. If there is a God who is before us and who will be after us, then this truth should shock our world. It must shock our world. This truth must recenter our world because what it means is that we are not the centre of the universe. We are not the centre of the universe. Your life is not the centre of the universe. The world does not revolve around you, nor does the world revolve around me. We are not the sentence. So anyone who thinks, I'm the master of my fate, 
I'm the captain of my soul. You know what God says? God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And so the first thing in seeing our life in proper perspective, in taking stock of our life, is to see that God is God and we are not. God is eternal and we are mere mortals. Now the second thing we see in this psalm, the second thing in seeing our life in proper perspective is to remember that fact, that we are mere mortals, that our life has a span. There is a span, whatever that is, in the eyes of God, in the mind of God, he knows, but there is a span and there is an end to our time on earth. Now, we are mortals not simply because, like what some scientists might tell us, we're just a large series of chemical reactions and chemical combustion that's just run out of steam. Our heart just decides to stop pumping blood or our brain just decides that it's had enough so it'll stop. Or that this is just the way it's meant to be, some fatalist idea. Well, no, that's not what the Bible tells us. You see, the plight of all humankind, the plight of all mankind is because every single life, your life and my life, is in the hands of God. It is no accident. Your life and my life is in the hands of God. And that's what this psalmist tells us. Look at verses 3 to 6. You, talking about God, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. And so we know that from dust man was made, to dust man will return. And then look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new by evening. It is dry and withered. You see what that passage is meant to help us see? It's meant to help us see that life is fleeting. It is fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's meant to give us the sense of the frailty of life, the brevity of life, the shortness of life. We're meant to get a sense of that and it's meant to unsettle us. It's meant to disturb us. One minute I can be alive, next minute I can be gone. And we experience this all the time, don't we, when we do attend funerals. Because when we go to funerals, we are confronted by death again and it brings to mind our own mortality. Now, I've been a minister at this church for four and a half years now. In my time here, I've conducted more funerals than I have weddings. It says something, doesn't it? This is the plight of humankind. And so that is why it is important to once in a while just to stop, just to slow down and to take a stock take on our life, to remember that God is immortal but our life is mortal, our life is fleeting and so we don't waste it away. But you see, our mortality is not just our light, that we just accept this like this fatalist idea but it is our sentence. That's what this psalm tells us. It is our sentence. Our plight is because it is the judgment of God on human rebellion. It is not right. Death, we hate it. It is because it is the judgment of God on human rebellion. Now, of course, some people might think, isn't that a bit harsh? Isn't that a bit harsh? Isn't that punishment disproportionate to the crime? But just think about it. It makes sense. 
If God is the giver of life, what do you expect when you reject God? When you reject God, you reject life. And so you you reject any chance of life and that punishment is death. You see, we only think it's a bit harsh or disproportionate because we don't see how offensive our human sin is against God because we don't feel the weight of how we've shamed God by how we lived. You see, nothing is hidden from God and whatever we do in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our actions, if they're not pleasing to God, then they hurt God. They hurt God. You see, nothing's hidden from God. Our secret thoughts, our secret desires, our lustings and fantasies, God sees everything right into our hearts and when he looks into the ugliness of our heart, he's not happy and he is angry and that's what this psalmist is trying to reflect here. Look at verses 7 to 10. He goes on to say, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. You see, nothing escapes God here. And in verse 9, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. And they quickly pass and we fly away. Do you get that sense of the brevity of life there? The sentence that we're all under. As good as life might be, and it might be good, and praise God for that, but no one will escape the hurt, the sorrow, the sadness that comes with life. Now, as I said before, I've been a minister here for four and a half years, and in just that short time, it actually didn't take me too long at all, but I came to realise that every single life, every single soul, every person I've spoken to, will have some issues, some problems, some hardship that they're dealing with, whether it's health issues, whether there's some conflict at work or at home between family or it might be disappointment or depression or distress. And that's why this psalmist is acknowledging, yet the span of life is but trouble and sorrow. And so what are we to do? When we hear that, when we see that, How are we to take stock of our life? Well, if we have the proper perspective on life, if we know that God is eternal and we are mortal, if we know that our life is in his hands, what do we do? Well, we turn to him. We turn to him, we plead to him and that's exactly what this psalmist does. He doesn't throw in the towel and give up on life. It's not a fatalist, we're going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do. But instead he wisens up. He turns to God, he pleads to God. He places fear where fear is meant to be placed. Not in death, but in God. Look at verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger, he says, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. And see how he pleads. Look at verse 12. He pleads. This is the key verse of our chapter. He says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, now that plead here, that, that plea, it's not asking God, God, please tell me how many more days or years I have left so that I can take a proper stock take of my life, so that I can tick off my bucket list, go bungee jumping and holidays before I kick the bucket. 
But this here is a desperate plea to God, a desperate cry out to God. God, please give me a real sense of the frailty, of the brevity, of the shortness of life. Lord, please help me not to be so naive to think that I'm invincible. Lord, please help me to not be so naive that I can think that I would have all the time in the world to do all I want in the world. But Lord, 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 please help me to number my days, that I might treasure my days, that I might treasure every single day so that in whatever time I have left, I won't be wasting it away, but I'll live it out wisely. And so this psalmist here continues to plead to God and what we see here in the final verses of this psalm is this heartfelt plea. You know, what, 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 that's what humans do by nature in times of crisis. When, we, when we're in the pits and there's no help, we're, when we've hit rock bottom and there's no hope, when we're in the face of death and there's no way out, what do people do? Well, people naturally turn to God in times of crisis. That is what this psalmist is doing. In fact, if you think back to 2001, September 11, the terrorist attacks in New York, if you remember that, after that event, church attendance increased 25%. It took a whole two months before church attendance went back to normal. But you see, in times of crisis, people do turn to God and that's what this psalmist is doing, turning to God, pleading to God. There's no one else to turn to. I can't turn to the government. I can't turn to the Prime Minister. I can't turn to any person because they're mere mortals just like me. And so this psalmist here turns to God, Lord, please grant me compassion and love, not your wrath and anger. Lord, please grant me joy and gladness, not emptiness and sadness. Lord, please grant me fruitful labour, not fruitless work and toil. You see, that's what this psalmist pleads in the final verses. Have a look. Verses 13 to 17. He goes on to plead, Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see that? It's this earnest plead for help, for compassion, for mercy, for love. See, if you come to realise that God is God, he holds our life in his hands, we are are mortal, we will not last, that our life is in God's hand, what do you do? You plead. You turn to God. And that's what this psalmist did. But now, I wonder if you've noticed that there's a little problem with this psalm. It, it, it doesn't really have a good ending. Do you notice something strange, something odd, something missing? God never answers in this psalm. He doesn't answer this psalmist. And so this psalm can read a bit like, plead all you like, but there's no promise here that God will grant it. There's no promise here that God should grant it. And so in one sense it's a strange psalm, a plea without an answer. But of course for us who are Christians, 
we know how this story finishes, don't we? We know that this psalm is only part of the bigger story of the Bible and we know that the plea of mortal men have been answered, don't we? The plea of the ages have been answered because what did God end up doing? What did the immortal, eternal God end up doing? Well, what God did was beyond the wildest imagination of this psalmist. You see, the eternal, immortal God entered into mortal existence. That is mind-blowing. The immortal God becoming mortal into human existence in his son Jesus Christ, that very first Christmas. The immortal became mortal to experience our pain, to bear it upon himself, to experience our sorrows, to bear it upon himself, to experience our troubles and heartaches and hardship and above all, to take upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself. The one who can't die. What happened? The one who can't die died on a Roman cross. And the one who died was raised up to life again to declare that death will not have the last word on mortal men, to give us a glimpse of life beyond the grave, to grant us hope for those who depend in Jesus, who trust in him for salvation. You see, that was the plea of the ages, the plea of the psalmist, all answered in Christ. And so when you look at Jesus, what do you see? There is compassion there. There is mercy there, there is love, there is forgiveness, there is eternal life. And so how do we take stock of our life in light of this psalm? In light of thinking about what God has done to answer this psalmist, in light of how the plea of the ages has all been fulfilled in Christ. Well, for us we want to do two things. Firstly, we want to look back on our life. So if we all reflect back on the life we've lived so far under God. If we think about the stuff we've done, the things we've said, there may be things we've done well, if we just reflect on what we've done so far. We may have served our family well, served our church humbly and faithfully. We may have done a good job at being a son or a daughter or a father or mother or brother or sister or grandparent or friend. We may have invested well in the work of the Lord we've prayerfully brought some people to faith in Christ. We've humbly raised our children in the knowledge of the Lord. We've joyfully and, and, and joyfully encouraged and built up our brothers and sisters in the faith. And if we look back on our life, and that is what we see, that is the flavour of our life so far, then we praise God. We praise God for that life so far. We praise him for those opportunities, for those blessings, for his enabling. But if we reflect back on our life now and what we see is just regret. I regret that I said that. I regret that I did not say that. I regret that I did that. I regret that I didn't do that. I regret that I didn't invest in the kingdom of God. I regret that I've only been storing up treasure for myself and when my life ends, I've got nothing to show God for. I regret that I didn't spend my time wisely. I regret that I did not spend my efforts, my resources, my gifts for the glory of God and for the good of his people. I regret that I have not yet once shared the gospel with even one soul. I regret that I've been wasting my life away on me. 
Now, if I look back and that is the flavour of my life so far, if that is what I see, well, what do we do? Well, we do what this psalmist did. We turn to God, we plead to him, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And what's God's answer? But the plea of the ages is answered in Christ. The one who can't die, died for you that you might be forgiven. You see, that is to take a stock take on our life, looking back. But now, of course, we're not just looking back, we want to look forward. We still have life to live. We still have years to live. Looking forward, what do we see? Well, this psalmist, what did he do? Looking forward, we number our days. We number our days, which means we, don't, we treasure it. We don't waste it away, hating people, holding grudges against people, leaving things unresolved, relationships unresolved. We don't waste it away not loving and not caring and not being generous and not being hospitable to those around us. That is to waste our life away if we just think about me. We don't waste it away not growing in Christ-likeness. We don't waste it away just living for ourselves. Of course, we don't waste it away not knowing, not loving, not worshipping the eternal God and his Son who died for us. See, we live each day, not simply like it's the last, but we live each day like it's the last day to serve the Lord. See, and then if I do that, I live out my days in the peace and comfort and love of my Saviour. If I live such a life, that's a life without regrets. Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder whether you've been to a a funeral and you really felt that the person who died, who passed away, did not waste their life. The first time I attended a funeral, with this sense of feeling that that person who passed away lived a full life, ran his race well, was about two years, two years, uh, June two years ago. I went to the funeral of my sister-in-law's father who was a Presbyterian minister here in Melbourne. In fact, the event in two weeks' time is sponsored in his honour, Reverend Tony Palm. When I attended his funeral, there was this sense that from the eulogies of my sister-in-law, from those who shared This was a man who did not waste his life. But yet this was a man who's never been on an overseas holiday in his 50 or so years of life. Never been on an overseas holiday. This was a man who never purchased a house. In the eyes of many, you think, what type of life is that? He didn't experience much, he didn't get to do much, he didn't buy a house. So in the eyes of so many, what a wasted life. So sad. But he was a man who did not waste his life investing in himself. He invested in the kingdom of God, served the Lord wholeheartedly and one day he'll reap the rewards. He'll reap the joys in heaven. That's the first time at a funeral I felt that sense that that man, though he did not do much in the eyes of the world, did so much for the Lord. And so to help me, and I hope will help you, number our days that looking forward, we won't be wasting our life away. What I've done recently, just the end of last year, was adopted a prayer, a daily prayer for myself and for my family. This is a prayer I adopted from Peter Adam. He was the former principal of Ridley College. It's his prayer, but I've made it my own. And the prayer goes like this. 
Please make me the person you want me to be. Prepare me to do the good works you want me to do and help me to do them. May I live today by these words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May this day be my best day of knowing, loving and serving you and living for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. It wouldn't be wonderful that we make that our prayer now. So let's end with this prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'll make all of us the person you want us to be. Prepare us to do the good works you want us to do and help us to do them. May we all live today by these words of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May this day be our best day of knowing, loving and serving you and living for your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.